This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about embracing the journey in a world forever changed. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Two weeks ago, we shared an episode that we aired first in May of 2021 called A Good Age. Last week, we shared the first of a two-part episode that was part of that larger project, looking at aging through the decades from people who are in them and why our culture is so obsessed with youth, even though the research tells us that as we age, we actually get better. This project began when my husband Nate was contending with his 40-something body breaking down on him. When he found David Blanchflower's research on aging, which we talked about in a good age and also in last week's first part of a better age, Nate couldn't believe that it was true. How could we get happier as we get older, even as we watch our bodies fade and fail us? How could we contend with losing the people we love along the way? If you missed those episodes, here's a glimpse of what you missed. You just realize how wonderful this place can be and how wonderful it is. Not only do I sort of feel the same way I did then, maybe I am the same in some strange way. My life may not fit norms, but I get to live it deliberately rather than by default. Now I get a secret thrill from my windier journey. Today, we return for part two of A Better Age, where we ask people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s what aging has meant for them. Since this whole project began with Nate's frustrations with aging, we're starting with him and with someone who's taught him a lot of what he knows. I don't know what it feels like to be old. I know what it feels like to be Robin Davis. <laughs> I feel maybe about 39, but you know, I'm 72. My mom is one of the zestiest people I know. As a quiet, bookish kid, I sometimes found my mom's blazing incandescence tiring to keep up with. But today, I can see how she's the source of many of my best qualities. She's the force of nature that has shaped our family. She's the reason that I'm open to new experiences and adventures. When birthdays roll around, whoa, that's a number that I associate with my mother, not with me. I think having a mind that's active, that still is questioning, learning, meeting new people, making new best friends, exploring new ideas, learning and growing, hearing a really good lecture, having a very interesting conversation with a new friend. My age is irrelevant there. In fact, my age is actually a benefit because I've done certain things so many times, like hospitality, that it is not a huge effort to pull off a really big event. I haven't settled into a rut yet. This past year, our family had reached a breaking point six months into COVID, and my mom dusted off the skills she'd used 30 years ago when she homeschooled my siblings and me and offered to teach and care for our three kids five days a week. I used to have boundless energy till late at night. I am not at that point now, whether it's because I'm exhausted from homeschooling the precious children or whether it's aging, I don't quite have as much energy. I've got a lot of gray hair, but once I get going, I feel fine. My siblings and I have gone five different directions professionally, but we're united by the gusto for life we first learned from her. The oldest of five, my mom went to college at Wellesley, where she was a year behind Hillary Clinton. 
She didn't grow up going to church, but she was so intellectually curious that when she began exploring the Christian faith in college, she pursued it all the way to seminary, where she met my dad. During the years when my dad was a new professor, my mom homeschooled five kids, created an English manor-level garden in her yard, hosted countless dinner guests, volunteered at her church, and charmed even the crabby next-door neighbor lady with her relentless kindness. It was my mom who showed me that one of the most important things that makes a home is inviting other people into it. Since she could take classes at the seminary for free, she studied Biblical Hebrew for fun. She got a Doctor of Ministry degree, because who wouldn't want to research and write a 150-page thesis paper in their spare time? Some people collect snow globes, ironic t-shirts, some people collect rare sneakers. My mom collects relationships. Mom's new best friend is our family joke, because without hesitation, she will offer conversation and energy to anyone who crosses her path, or whom she might detour off her path to me. For the rest of us who sometimes just wanted to walk through a parking lot, my mom's endless appetite for the human smorgasbord could be a bit tiring. But I can see now that her attitude is one of life's great lessons for any writer. Inside everyone you meet is a story waiting to be discovered. I've watched her disarm people in grocery store checkout lines who open up in the warmth of her interest and who are woven into the shining network of possibility and meaning that is my mom's worldview, the belief that we can all connect if we are only open to it. I learned from my mom that food and languages were windows into culture. There was no place or people that didn't have something to teach me. She showed us how a simple hola or shalom or marhaba and a smile would open doors and relationships wherever we went. She gave us the world. My mom is one of the most positive people I know, but it's not because her life has always been easy. I had two brothers. I lost the first brother at two months old. I lost my second brother when he was 46. And here I am 72. So I see all these extra years that I have had that these two brothers didn't have as a real gift. And I don't expect not to have aging in my body. My brother, Doug, would love to have been alive to experience some of these symptoms of aging. He didn't ever experience them because he died so young. Same thing with my brother Greg, who died as an infant. My mom was about the age I am now when my Uncle Doug died in a tragic case that was never solved. And that was only seven years after my grandpa committed suicide on New Year's Day after years of alcohol and gambling problems. A decade ago, my mom lost her best friend in a car accident. When people meet her, they wouldn't guess that she's lost so much. I've run six marathons, but my mom's endurance is exceptional. I asked her what has gotten her through. I have not generally gone through life worrying about what might happen because the worst things that have happened in my life, I could never have anticipated the day before they happened. My faith perspective influences an awful lot of how I think about life, how I think about relationships, how I think about hardships, how I think about aging. I mean, why should I expect not to have bad things happen to my body or bad things happen in my life? I hope I don't experience significant cognitive decline before my body goes. The dying process, especially if it's a long and painful one, that's certainly not an appealing thought to any of us. 
but I trust God to give me the courage for whatever he has in mind for me. If this life were all that there is, then I might be really sad that I hadn't traveled to X, Y, or Z place. I hadn't had X, Y, or Z experience. I really believe the Christian message, so I'm not scared of death. I know that isn't the end of Robin Davis. When I hear Robin talk about losing her two brothers and her dad and her best friend, saying that she believes in the Christian faith and has hope, it's staggering to me, even though it's the faith I ascribe to. While we were working on this episode, our dear friends lost their 16-year-old son. Isaac went to school on Friday feeling fine, but by that evening, he was so sick that they took him to the hospital. They learned that he had leukemia and that his platelets were so low that his brain was bleeding. Less than 48 hours after he first experienced symptoms, he was gone. This past Saturday, our family attended Isaac's memorial service. Our friend and pastor Bart Garrett said in his lifetime of being a pastor, he's racked up a list of questions for God. And this one is at the very top. Why would God take a child who was in the bloom of his life? He didn't offer any pat answers. It's a paradox to believe that God is good and yet terrible things happen all the time. I want to understand how it's possible to get happier, not just when your body ages, but when the inevitable losses of life continue for many years to come. When I was younger, there was a lot about my mom that I couldn't understand. Now that I'm in my 40s with three kids my own, mostly what I feel is gratitude, but also a sense of awe. This hard season of life has been cushioned by her care for us, and we will forever be indebted to her. All of this podcast, our family pulling together instead of falling apart, our kids going from languishing to thriving, would never have happened without her. But it took sitting down with her for this episode to realize that she's cared for me that way all my life. You were two weeks old, my first child, and it was the first time that I had left you. And I was driving down the highway and it hit me that there was this little person in my life now who was totally dependent on me for life. I realized that I had entered a new phase of life, that I was no longer my own master. You know, they're always there. You're forever changed. And it was the first time I'd left you, but I didn't leave you. I couldn't, I, I still haven't left you. My mom just turned 73, so for her birthday, I wanted to give her the public recognition of all that she's given us. The belief in stories, the hope of connection, the love of learning. She's always used her energy to light up those around her. I hope that when I'm 73, I can be a better age, just like her. Statistically, a 72-year-old woman alive now has 15 more years of life. So I would consider maybe mid-80s or late-80s as old. I think old is always like 15 years older than, <laughs> than we are right now. Grandma always says, you know, you're an old man. I said, no, I never feel old. By age, I'm old. 86 is old. But I definitely don't feel by my actions or my mental attitude that I'm old. That's my grandpa, Marty Weissman. I'm Alana Herlands, a former producer at Children Place. 
Like me, my grandpa is a born and bred New Yorker. That gravelly Brooklyn accent almost got him a part on the show The Sopranos. Yes, really. I don't think I act my age. I'm 86. I look old, but I don't feel that way. Most people my age are either half bald or completely bald. I have a full head of hair, and I'm meticulous with my hair, my grooming, and my weight. I'm critical about that all the time, and that's what I watch to make me, I guess, look younger or in good shape, or both. My grandpa's vigor and determination have always impressed me. So I was surprised to learn that he wasn't always that way. I had gone to NYU when I had just graduated high school, and I really wasn't that into school. I cut a lot of classes, so my parents says to me, hey, you're not even attending school at all, or you are, but you're not paying attention, go into the army. I was about 18 or 19 years old when I first went into the army. Being put into that situation, that's what made me feel like I was now an adult. I got drafted for two years, but when I was in about 18 months, I knew when I got out, I wanted to go to college. So I wrote a letter to NYU, that was a famous letter. I wrote a letter and I said, when I first attended NYU, I was a kid, didn't know what I wanted. But when I went away to the army, I grew up. And now that I learned about life, I want to attend college. And I would like you to reconsider and let me back into NYU. And I sent the letter off. And lo and behold, a week or two later, I got a letter back saying, you're accepted. They let me back in and I graduated. My grandpa has always had this incredible ability to put his mind to something and just make it happen. He's stubborn in a good way, usually. When my grandpa was 21, he was a month away from getting discharged from the army to go back to NYU. His friend, Harvey, heard that he was around and invited him to Connecticut, where he and a few friends were going to hang out for the weekend. On Sunday, when they were ready to head back to Queens, Harvey said, I met two girls and I said I'd give them a ride back to Brooklyn. My grandpa protested, saying that he didn't want to go all the way down to Brooklyn, but Harvey had already promised them the ride, so he obliged. As they merged onto Route 95, my grandpa looked out at the road, then looked back at the girls again, and calmly told his friend to pull over. Harvey said, What are you talking about? We're already on the highway, Maudie. But I guess he must have been used to this kind of thing for my grandpa because Harvey swiftly pulled over and drove the rest of the way with my grandpa in the back seat next to one of the girls. That girl, Harriet, would become my grandmother. They got married and three years later had their first child, all while my grandpa was going to school full-time at NYU. When you reach a certain age like ours, you go back in time and reminisce about the kids being born and how we took care of them and the grandkids when they were born. Life goes by when you get to be our age very quickly. It doesn't seem that way as you're growing up and going through the various stages of adolescent and then marrying or whatever you're doing and growing up and having a job. And then all of a sudden you're at the tail end of life. It seems to go very, very quickly. By the time my grandpa was my age, he'd done so much. He'd been in the army, gotten married, and had three kids. 
I haven't done any of the things that made him feel like an adult. I still feel young. I am still young. But there is one thing that reminds me that I'm getting older. I have recurring back pain. It's the one thing about aging that scares me. And my grandpa says that even though he still feels younger than he is, it scares him too. A lot of people at my age come down with a lot of different illnesses. If anything happens with grandma, like she fell on her back a number of months ago, that's scary to me. I feel my happiest when my wife is feeling good and is enjoying life. She's a very nervous person, and when she's happy, I'm happy. And when all my kids and grandkids are happy and things are going well, that's what makes me happy. When I was a little girl, my grandpa and I would play a game where I'd stand on his toes, clutch his hands in mine, and he'd walk me around the house crying out, ow, 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 while I belly laughed in delight. We outgrew that game many years ago, and of course, I know that my grandpa is older, but he still feels young to me. He still knows how to make me laugh in that same way. So I asked him what his secret was. What makes me feel young? How do you know I feel young, by the way? <laughs> I do get tired in the afternoon, about two, three o'clock in the afternoon, and I always take a nap, but I've been taking a power nap since I'm 20 years old, like clockwork. I always did it, and I still do it. So I don't know if that makes me feel old because I did it my whole life, but I do get tired. That's part of life, and you gotta go with the flow and try to keep yourself at a peak in health so that you can go through all these stages of life and go to a ripe, ripe old age. The thing that makes me feel young is I put on my sneakers and I go three miles outside. Now, I used to do it all running, and then I used to do it half running and half walking. I now do it all walking, and I go every day. Walk, walk, walk. Don't stop. That's my mantra. As long as I could keep moving, putting one foot in front of the other, I never felt old. I feel very grateful to God that I woke up. That's my grandmother. Hello, I am Marie Farr. I live in Mequon, Wisconsin. I grew up in and out of East Texas. My grandmother Marie was born in 1922 in Shreveport, Louisiana. She turned 99 this past September, and on my list of reasons to feel hopeful about aging, she is close to the top. My mind is good. I don't dwell on age as long as I can think and as long as I can dress myself and feed myself, I feel like I'm doing okay. To me, she's grandmother. To my nieces and nephews, she's Grand Marie. She spent the bulk of her life in McAllen, Texas, just a few miles from the Mexican border. I have fond memories of the times that our family visited our Texas relatives, but only in the last few years, when I've finally gotten to sit down with my grandmother and ask her about her life, have I begun to understand just how much she's lived through. The Great Depression was the backdrop of most of her childhood. She was 17 when she married my granddaddy, and their marriage had barely started before he was off serving in the Navy during World War II. My granddaddy was a photographer whose work was often too inconsistent to count on. So while my grandmother was raising my mom and my two uncles, she was also working at Sears to support her family. 
She had barely known what it was to be a parent before she lost her first child. We lost our first child at birth. Felt like my husband and I, neither one, were old enough to have a child. We were ignorant, didn't know anything about raising one, and I think God in his wisdom took that child. Years after my grandmother lost her first child, she watched her oldest son slowly lose the strength he'd once had. I still remember watching my own mother break down in our kitchen when she got the call about my uncle's diagnosis of MS. I remember having to sit down in the first apartment Nate and I ever lived in when my mom called me to tell me that that same uncle had lost his daughter, the one who'd been closest to me in age, who'd been my childhood friend to a car accident. My grandmother was in Texas back then, attending my cousin Melissa's funeral, just like I attended Isaac's this past weekend. In the final years before my granddaddy died, my grandmother took care of him faithfully, while dementia steadily pared down his memory. He got so that he needed help with everything, and my grandmother was there, getting to know this very different version of my granddaddy in the years before he died. Somehow, my grandmother has taken these losses in stride, not ignoring them, but not letting them sink her either. I really don't know a lot of times how I feel about things. They just happen, and I just accept them. I don't dwell on those things because those are in the past. After my granddaddy died in 2005, my grandmother lived alone in McCallum for another five years before she moved into a trailer home next to my uncle's house in New Caney, Texas. In 2019, my grandmother had to be rushed to the hospital for congestive heart failure. My grandmother did recover, but she also agreed that it was time to move in with my parents. The place where my grandmother lives now is beautiful. Lots of rolling hills and farmland and an apple orchard down the street. She has her own room and bathroom in the basement of my parents' two-bedroom house, but she misses Texas. She's grateful for the life that she has now, but it isn't home. I asked her what she misses most about her life in Texas and how she's feeling about this hundredth year of her life. She said she misses her independence. I moved my own lawn until I was 87. Being able to get up and go to bed whatever time she wants. Not having to think about anyone else's schedule or whether or not she's imposing. She misses driving. Giving that up was one of the hardest signals of getting old. I'd have told myself I would always know when to give up driving. I was 96, and all of a sudden, I had a little blackout that fell at the grocery store. I think it was just the heat. Fortunately, I wasn't hurt. No one else was hurt. I made it all the way home, got my groceries in the house, called the insurance company. I knew then that I should have given it up. I gave it up, but I sure did hate it. She misses the chorizo and eggs that my Uncle Steve would make her on her birthday. The times that she would visit with my Uncle Clayton and he would make her laugh. My younger son moved my swing at the end of the patio so we could sit out there and he would come over and sit with me. And he also came over and had coffee with me in the mornings. I just thought we were lucky, both of us, me to be alive and him to reach retirement age. I just thank God for it. I miss that. My mom is one of the best cooks I know, and she's tried to recreate so many of those comforts from my grandmother's life in Texas. But some things in life you can't duplicate. You just have to accept 
that they belong to a different season. You have to find the things that are good about the season you're in now. They're always there if you look for them. I try to look forward to the future, whatever it is. I just have too many things to be thankful for. I just live from one day to the next, trusting God to see me to the next one. For my grandmother, looking forward to the future is often very small. She loves watching shows on TV, reading books. She gets a lot of joy out of those little pleasures. Every now and then, she gets a coffee from the Quick Trip gas station. She doesn't know what kind of coffee they brew, but it's out of this world. I have a very lovely lady who does my hair once a week and keeps it in some kind of order. I do it mainly just to look as good as I can with what I have. I feel happiest when I'm not ignored. When I'm included in a group conversation or I feel like people care about me. In her New York Times story, Your Brain is Not for Thinking, neuroscientist and psychologist Lisa Feldman Barrett says that contrary to popular belief, our brain's primary purpose isn't to think, but to keep the systems of our body running so that we can stay alive. She says that when it comes to brain power, it helps to think in financial terms, what she calls the body budget. Your brain has a certain amount of capacity each day, a finite amount of energy that it can devote to your body's needs. And that's not just true for our physical needs, but our emotional ones too. She writes, every thought you have, every feeling of happiness or anger or awe you experience, every kindness you extend, and every insult you bear or sling is part of your brain's calculations as it anticipates and budgets your metabolic needs she says that we often think about our body's mental and physical needs as separate categories, but that's not actually how it works. There is no such thing as a purely mental cause, because every mental experience has roots in the physical budgeting of your body. This is one reason physical actions like taking a deep breath or getting more sleep can be surprisingly helpful in addressing problems that we traditionally view as psychological. When I hit my head and was recovering from my concussion, I experienced a vivid awareness of my own body budget. I had to recalculate to find the balance that used to feel easy. Lisa Feldman Barrett says, if you feel weary from the pandemic and you're battling a lack of motivation, consider your situation from a body budgeting perspective. Are we getting enough sleep? Drinking enough water? Do we need to get outside or call a friend to replenish our resources? I'm thinking less these days about how to be a better age and more about how to age better. I can make a very long list of complaints if I choose to look at my life through that lens. But I'd rather make a different list, one that counts all of the reasons I have to be grateful, one that views aging with the realization that each day is a gift. At Isaac's memorial service, one of Isaac's best friends got up and told us how Isaac had dreamed of being an artist. They'd spent hundreds of hours together making a game that they called the stupid game. Isaac's drawings were wonderful and hilarious. Isaac means laughter, and he made his friends and his family laugh all the time. It was the way that he approached life. His parents didn't know that he wanted to be an artist. They're starting a scholarship fund to help others pursue the dream that Isaac never got to. I'll put a link in our show notes for those of you who'd like to contribute. 
It hit me, sitting at Isaac's memorial service this past weekend, that walking and hot air ballooning and making art and music and laughing and spending time with our friends and family and even faith in God, all of these things don't take away the certainty that we'll all die, but they do make life worth living. For those of you who've been on this journey with us for a long time, you know that we are doing this because we love it, but we haven't been able to make a whole lot of money at it yet. That's changing, but we need your help. We're having a lot of exciting conversations with people who can help us fund this work, but so much comes down to downloads. We're setting a goal of reaching 10,000 downloads per month by the end of 2021. And I know that sounds like a lot, but with over 175 episodes in our feed, this actually just means that if we can get 57 new listeners to subscribe and listen to our show, we'll reach that goal. And here's where you can help us. Think about anyone in your life who would enjoy this podcast. Ask them if they'd be willing to take two minutes and listen to our season three trailer. If they like what they hear, ask them if they'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and anywhere else that they listen. They can even subscribe to multiple platforms at once. That action alone of listening to our trailer and subscribing to the show helps us get toward our goal. If you listen to public radio, you can also help us by calling or emailing your local public radio station and asking them to air our show. Whether you've been with us from the very beginning or you're just tuning in, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who's joined us on this journey and encouraged us along the way. You are the reason that we're still here. Nate Davis was the lead writer for this episode. Alana Herlins was our producer. Michelle O'Brien and Samantha Skinner were our associate producers. The shelter-in-place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Nate Davis is our creative director. Sarah Edgel is our design director. And our amazing Season 3 Kasama Collective trainees are Bethany Hawkins, Hannah Fowler, Meridian Waters, Nathan Wizard, Nikki Schaefer, and Zara Krim. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now, if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. Do you ever do anything to make yourself look younger or older? Yeah, sometimes. I guess act like a baby. <laughs> but not the made-up, super annoying baby cry. Oh my gosh, okay. That's why I hate it. <laughs> and when do you feel your happiest? When I'm with my family and when I'm listening to one of my favorite songs. If I was you, I'd wanna be me too. I'd wanna be me too. I'd wanna be me too. <laughs> I like being at this age because I don't have to pay bills and all those annoying other chores that old folks have to do. Old just looks as like a me. <laughs> just as a chucker. <laughs> I wouldn't call you old. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>